Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way, with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge, God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Paulos. Another, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius, so no one can say that you were baptized in my name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanas. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not, to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And that's the word of God. So that's 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Hey, what's up, everybody? My name is Mark. Uh, everybody online and here in person. Um, I'm campus pastor at the Allen Park campus. Good to be with you here today. So we're going to embark on a journey. And it's starting, well, today begins that journey. And we're going through the book of 1 Corinthians, which is in the New Testament. 
Um, this, this book was written by the Apostle Paul to a church that he had started in the Greek city called Corinth. You can see it kind of on the map. Um, and he's writing from a city in Ephesus uh, later after he had spent time there. In uh, this letter, or this actually, it's really a letter. It's not a book. It's a letter written from Paul. And it talks about a lot of the issues that the church was having after he had left. And the funny thing is, because I really start, I, I laugh about this because uh, the same issues that they were struggling with, we struggle with. We think 2,000 years later, we're so enlightened and so more sophisticated and better than people 2,000 years ago. We know things differently now, but we're not. We still struggle with the same exact stuff. My grandfather used to... I don't mean if anybody, but my grandfather used to say this all the time and it sticks with me. It's like, boy, you think your poop don't stink? Like, like you have trouble. Like you, you, you mess up like everybody else. And sometimes we just start thinking, nah, we got this. We got this. But Paul reminds us, and well, we get to hear that they're struggling with the same things that you and I struggle with today. It's amazing. And so anyways, this letter was written by Paul. And this, uh, uh, it was to this church, and it's, it's a long letter. Like, if you like a love letter, usually from a guy to, a, to, a, to his girlfriend or his wife, possibly, you know, it's pretty short, usually. Hey, babe, love you. You're pretty, Mark. It's about all you can get out of a guy sometimes, right? But Paul writes a much longer letter. So we're going to take several months to go through this. Um, we're going to break it up into segments. Um, and if you remember this, before Easter, we were going through Acts, Right? Um, by the way, I mean, Easter was uh, the second largest like, attendance in South Point history, over 3,000 people, three baptisms at all three campuses. So way to go, invite your friends. Um, it was, it's, it's exciting, right? Second largest attendance ever. But we were going through the Acts. And so in Acts chapter 18 is where you see the time that Paul spent in the city of Corinth. You see what he did? He spent time with them and then he leaves. And it didn't take long for them to forget or stop doing what he had told them to do, what they had learned. And they got pretty jacked up, dysfunctional. Um, they were messed up. And um, so here's, if this is your first time with us, you pick a great time because you're going to learn something really quick. Listen, if you're looking for a perfect church, you're going to have to keep searching. <laughs> like we're not a perfect church. You're not going to find perfect people here. But if you're looking for a church with imperfect people who have found some grace and forgiveness, and, and honestly, we found perfection in the person of Jesus. And so now, our desire is simply to take next steps to becoming more like him. That's who we are. An imperfect place that has found a perfect savior in Jesus. And we encourage you to stick around and get to know him more. But this, uh, breaking up the, the letter, and, and it's in chapters, 18 chapters. Um, and so we're going to take the first four. And the theme here is God's wisdom versus the world's wisdom. That's really what the first four chapters talk about. And in order to get us on the same page, I want to give you a little illustration, okay? I think all of us can, can, can go back to our days when we were kids or maybe you're in this situation. Let's say your mom tells you to go clean your room, okay? Say you're 10, 11 years old, 12 years old, something like that. Uh, now, this scenario, there's like a few of you in the room that will be like, dude, when I was 10, I loved cleaning my room. This is the greatest thing in the universe. I loved it when my mom said, please go clean my room. Woohoo! You're weird, okay? No one else really thinks that way. The 99.9% .9 of the population, the rest of us, we get this illustration, okay? So your mom tells you to go clean your room. And what, so imagine now, in this day and age, you're 10, 11, you go on your phone. I'm going to go, what is, what is this word cleaning? And you go look at the definition. You read the dictionary. You go Wikipedia. You get the etymology of the word. You learn all these links about where cleaning came from. You go to YouTube and you check out, oh my gosh, there's all these videos. How to clean, the best tools to clean with. Then you learn the arguments. Wait a minute, should I do organic or should I do abrasive chemicals? My goodness, I love cleaning. I'm getting really good at this cleaning thing. I'm researching it. I'm getting so wise in cleaning. Matter of fact, you start texting all your friends to share your information 
all this wisdom that you've learned. You start having a study group for cleaning. All your friends come over. You get the Greek and the Hebrew of cleaning. Woo, you love cleaning. So a month later, you go back to your mom and say, Mom, I love cleaning. Let me share the wisdom that I have learned over the last month with you. What's your mom going to say? Uh, you're grounded because <laughs> you didn't clean your room. <laughs> Your mom understands something about wisdom that God understands, and we get it when we think about it. Wisdom isn't just knowledge. It's not just, I heard the words that my mother said. I understand the words that my mother said. Wisdom is right knowledge with right application. If you don't do what your mom asks you to do, you can know it, but it's still foolishness because you didn't have right application. And maybe that's true for a lot of us today. We think we have wisdom, but... We are not, we don't have both right knowledge and right application. And so this letter reminds us of where we can find wisdom, not just right knowledge, but also right application. And there's lots of it in the world around us. I mean, think about this in college campuses in America, all across the world, it has some of the smartest people in the world, right? And yet it's ground zero for foolishness often, isn't it? Education isn't, you know, education by itself doesn't make us better. We get that. There's an old quote. I think it goes something like, if you educate people without religion, you might just make them more clever, clever devils. We just get away with things, right? We, we begin to justify things. We're not necessarily any wiser. There's lots of information in the world, practical wisdom. It's not like there's conventional wisdom is always wrong. I mean, you've got even like ancient stuff, Aesop's fables and Confucius and Buddha, Benjamin Franklin's Poor Richard's Almanac. I mean, go to NASA right now, doc, you know, gov kind of thing. You're going to see some practical information about the universe and things around us. Not all conventional wisdom is wrong. However, oftentimes conventional, conventional wisdom doesn't have the foundation of wisdom, the recognition of God, which is where Proverbs and God says all wisdom begins. And so sometimes it's, again, we might have great knowledge, but we don't know how to apply it. Where are we? And if, we, if we're honest, I think what normal is not really working all the time, is it? We make lots of decisions that cause lots of pain to ourselves and others. Music today, everything today, wisdom today, it's, it's just not working all the time. And if you want to change, then how do we change? Well, you got to change the way you think before you can change the way you act. And if you want to change the way you think, you got to change what you're putting in. So 1 Corinthians gives us God's wisdom. And oftentimes we'd say it's unconventional. It's out of the box. It's out of the box to us because it's not what we normally look at. It's not what the world around us talks about, but it's not necessarily bad. Maybe it's right. Maybe it's helpful. So we want to encourage you to grow this series in your WQ. Like everybody's got an IQ, right? Intelligent quotient. And you can, you can test that standardized testing questions. You can figure out what your IQ is. Your WQ is your wisdom quotient. There's really not a test for that, but you can up your wisdom by learning both knowledge from God's word and learning how to apply it rightly to become more like Jesus. Knowledge and application. But it starts with being humble. One of two ways, at least we would really, God would want you to be humble and recognize who God is. But even if you're not there yet, you can be humble enough to say, wait a minute, maybe I don't know everything. Maybe I'm not making all the wise decisions. Maybe there's something I can learn. Maybe what I'm listening to and where I'm gaining wisdom from, maybe it's not the best. Maybe I can learn something. So at least in that sense, you can learn. We can grow in wisdom. And that's what 1 Corinthians can help us do. 
So here we are. We're going to open it up. Paul spent time with the people in the Corinthians, right, in the city of Corinth. And so he, he told them about Jesus, his life, death, and, death, and resurrection. Uh, he told them that that's the gospel. And he said, this is how now we live based upon that. So the right knowledge about who Jesus was and then what life looks like based upon the truth of who he is in the resurrection. Right. So he taught them this. They understood that. Paul leaves to go start some other churches. And it didn't take long for them to, you know, like with our mom, sometimes we heard what she said, but we either forgot it or ignored it or just didn't do it. And so they begin to be in the same way. They heard it, but now they're not applying it or applying it correctly. And so that's dangerous because, you know, when you have just a little bit of knowledge, you actually makes you really dangerous because you think you know what you're doing or we can begin justifying what I'm doing. Well, Paul said this, so I have the right to do this now. Well, that's not what he said. You know that. So a little bit of knowledge is, tr is dangerous. And that's where they are. They're struggling. And so Paul loves them. He's not mad. I mean, he loves them. And so he writes this letter that opens up with grace and peace. I love you. And he says that you're called to be the church of God, called out of the world to be this church. And so you recognize the, uh, our allegiance when you're a part of the family of God. Your allegiance is first to Jesus Christ, to this new family, God's family, more so than to your citizenship here on earth or even to your earthly family, your allegiance is to Christ and to God's family. And God wants unity in his body. He says that his body is unified, his family is unified. And so he, one of the demonstrating marks of a church of his body should be unity. And yet he was hearing that they were spreading factions over fellowship. There was divisions, groups, cliques, and it was beyond just your normal like differences of opinions. It was to the point where it was about to split into like these early denominations and division like that is flat out against God's will. Remember Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane right before he was about to be crucified, he was in a garden, he was praying. Well, this was his prayer and he's praying for us future generations. John 17, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. He wants us to experience a profound unity, like we're supposed to be unified. And when the world can see something like that, it's a beautiful thing that calls people, draws people. But why do so many people not want it? Possibly, and a large reason might be because they don't know who to follow. Which message is correct? Because we spend more time fighting with each other over meaningless things than fighting the real enemy devil, the devil. You know, it's so devastating to the mission and just a waste of energy to fight each other over meaningless things than to be out sharing God's love and fighting the real enemy. It was sad of the church then, and we still struggle with this today. 2,000 years later, we're not as sophisticated as we're thought, we thought. We're still humans. We get selfish. And Paul said, look, your it's not about theological divisions. There's certain things that we have to be unified on. He outlines them in Ephesians 4, make every effort to keep unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Notice that the Holy Spirit is the one who provides unity, not you and I, not the church, but the Holy Spirit allows us to be unified. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called the one hope when you were called one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father. Those are the list of ones that we should be unified on theological things that bring us together. And the divisions in that early church had nothing to do with those. It had everything to do with personalities. Remember, Paul said that he heard some of you were saying you follow Paul. Some of you were saying you follow Apollos, which was another brilliant leader at the day and time, in their day and time. And some of you were following Cephas, who was just another name for the apostle Peter. And some of you said that even some of them were saying they follow Christ. 
Think about that. That's like the non-denominations, right? The non-denominational. Ooh, like us, right? Ooh, they're the good ones, right? We think, no, they, they, weren't, they didn't have a spirit of unity. They still had a spirit of division. All of them wanted people to follow what they wanted to follow. And Paul says it's not good. As Christians, we're supposed to be united, not divided. And whatever they were quarreling over, Paul says it's not worth quarreling. And here's our big idea, big idea today, and this is what he was telling them then. God's wisdom is the real deal that brings, that keeps us united. Not our personal preferences, but God's wisdom. So he begins to appeal to them like Jesus is the one who brings unity. Submit to him so that we can have unity in the body. And one of the ways that we do that is in disagreement. How do we disagree with one another? In disagreements, we shouldn't disagree like the rest of the world does. It shouldn't be like petty rivalries, like siblings, and it shouldn't be like a power struggle. It shouldn't be us fighting with one another. He says that we should agree with one another because we are the body of God. And the, the Greek word there for agree is actually a medical term. And it literally means knitting together broken bones. So think about this. I want to be very clear about this. The next time you're about to put a social media post up, think about this before you say that. Because when you say something about the body of God, when you tear each other down, you're literally tearing apart the body of God, the body of Jesus. You want to do that? I don't. Before you say something, when you leave today about whoever was up here and you didn't like this or you didn't like, be careful. Are you tearing apart the body of Jesus? And I bet you didn't mean to. You weren't thinking that. And yet, when we fight with each other and bring our personal preferences above something like Jesus, then we are literally tearing apart the body of Jesus. And the church should be unified. But we get caught up in silly things. 2,000 years later, we're still doing the same stuff. We're not just a body. And so like brothers and sisters, I get it. We fight with one another, but we're supposed to love one another more than others. And so even if I don't know you, you're my brother or sister in Christ and we should love one another. So there should be a relational unity within this body. But unity doesn't mean conformity. It doesn't mean that we're going to wear the same clothes and eat the same food and speak the same language all the time, like the same music. There's differences within unity, but we can disagree Maturity, which we all should become mature in Christ. Maturity is diversity without animosity. That's tweetable. Go tweet that, all right? <laughs> Maturity is diversity without animosity. I don't get credit. Somebody said that smarter than me, but I like it. There should be relational unity, but also there should be theological unity. Not conformity, but unity. Theological unity in the authority of Scripture. The, the life and, and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the salvation and faith alone through Christ and the cross and baptism, the reality of heaven and hell, like these things we should fight for. We don't change those things because those are God's word, God's truths, not my personal preferences. Have you ever been through a church fight or a split? If you haven't, I'm glad. They're ugly. It's ridiculous. It's petty, they're divisive and, and bitterness and ugly and bite, bite, backbiting. I mean, it's, it's crazy. It's like 40-year-olds and 50-year-olds become two-year-olds again. And we start fighting over things that don't matter. 
We argue not over these kinds of things, but we ended up, people end up arguing over the color of the carpet and the chairs and whether we should use this thing called a pulpit or this thing called a music stand and should the preacher have a beard? Well, what length should the beard be and what clothes should the preacher wear? And what should we have out in the lobby? What kinds of coffee should we? Well, we can't have coffee in the sanctuary of God. These are the things that we start arguing about. Wait a minute, we should have American flag somewhere up on this stage. People used to argue about this, but wait a minute, we don't belong to this earthly kingdom, right? Well, no, we should have a Christian flag. That's right. So then we had a Christian flag. But does anybody remember when Jesus gave us a flag? I don't remember that. Jesus didn't have a flag. Oh, but you got to have the right picture of Jesus out in the lobby. I mean, that's really important. Who took a picture of Jesus? They didn't have cameras. And it makes sense. And we joke, it's easy to laugh, but yet every single one of us, we have these little personal preferences. The volume of the music, the, the songs that are picked, the order of the service. And it's okay, we all have personal preferences, but what begins to happen is we make our personal preferences into orthodoxy. And everyone has to agree with me. This is the only way it can be done. This is the right way and your way is absolutely wrong. And then we have to disagree and divide over it. And that is flat out against God's will. That tears apart his body, which then makes it difficult for the world to know who to follow. And that God is completely against. And Paul was telling the church then, stop it. Stop it. Stop being selfish. And he's telling us today, stop. What, what are we here for? What brings us together? Listen, if you ever were to lead, the leaders here have done a great job over the years of not allowing division. Sure, there's been arguments and disagreements, and sometimes leaders have stepped down and people have left. But Brett and the leaders have done a great job of not, there hasn't been a split. And if you were to ever leave, I hope you never do, but if you ever choose to leave, I hope it's not over something petty, but if you do choose to leave, I hope when you go look for a church that you don't go looking for the, the style of music you like and the personality of the preacher or the coffee and the programs that they offer. I hope you look for what they're teaching. Are they teaching the word of God? Are they teaching the correct way, the plan of salvation? That's what matters. Those are the things. That's what God's wisdom says. You know, the Protestant Reformation, that's over 500 years ago now. That's when like these denominations really started to be formed. Somebody said, oh, we're going to follow Martin Luther, and they created the denomination of the Lutherans. And somebody said, we're going to follow John Calvin, and they created the Calvinists. And someone said, they're going to follow John Wesley, and they made the Wesleyans and the Methodists. And all of these divisions within the body of Christ begin to happen. And you know, it makes God's heart sad. But today, let's not put all the blame back then. We do it today, too. People have this even celebrity pastor thing. We follow people online, like so-and-so preacher online. I love so-and-so. Oh, I love this guy, or I love this person, right? And we begin to follow them. Even within South Point, you might hear people say, oh, I love. I love it when Rich preaches. Oh, I love Rich's preaching. Or some of you may say, no, 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 no. I love Brett. Brett, he's sound. He's the one, man. I like it when Brett's here. And then some of you probably, and you're probably the correct ones, might say, like, oh, no, 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 Mark. We like Mark. <laughs> like, yeah, that's why I'm here today, man, right? I like Mark. It's, he knows I'm saying this. I'm joking. But we say stuff like this, okay? And even to the point where you might say something like, you know, if the, my favorite one's not going to be here, then I'm just going to stay at home. Well, wait a minute. Who are you here to worship? You know why we do this rotation thing, right? Why we switch the campuses and we do video every once in a while? It's because we're stubborn. 
because we still struggle with the same thing they struggled 2,000 years ago. We begin to elevate the messenger over the message, and we begin to connect with the personality more than Jesus Christ. Paul says, wait a minute, is Christ divided? No. All three of us. Listen, it's not Brett's church or Rich's church or Mark's church. It's Jesus' church. We're not divided. We're preaching the same gospel, God's word. So the church shouldn't be divided. And sometimes we need reminders because we get stuck thinking the way we think. And the church is divided. And the world doesn't get to see us unified. We are blessed to have different communicators with different and various styles. You know what? Like, I love pizza. I love pepperoni on my pizza. I really do. But I also like bacon. I like bacon. And sometimes I like green peppers and onions, vegetables on my pizza. I like variety, right? Variety is great. We are blessed. We get variety. But we get hung up on the way that we like things. And that begins to be orthodoxy. And then we get... We're following something other than Christ. And that's what Paul says you got to stop. Because we're not here to follow anyone other than Christ. And if you begin following someone other than Christ, you're in trouble. Christ and Christ alone. And Paul says you even started to turn baptism into something that it's not. Baptism is one of, the, baptism is one of those unifying marks. It's supposed to bring unity within the church. And Paul says, I am glad I didn't baptize any of you punks because you're messing up once again. And who cares who baptized you? And Paul's like, listen, it's not that baptism isn't important. It's that the baptizer isn't important. It doesn't matter if Paul or Peter or John or Barbara or Sue or whatever name. It doesn't matter who baptized you. We get hung up. Like some people say only a preacher or a priest or some. That's not what it, a believer should baptize another, someone who wants to believe. That's it. You know what I love seeing? I love seeing it when someone who led someone to Christ gets to be the one who baptizes them, especially when parents do. When you get to baptize your own, wow, that's awesome. It's amazing to see your coworker, if you led them to Christ and you get to baptize them, a friend, a neighbor. And then when you, you get to see like what life change is happening and then this culmination somehow in this baptism, you, you want more of it. Like, dude, I want more. I want to see more of that. And you, you get to go out and make more, help make more disciples. It's not about the person. It's about Jesus. And this is when Paul, you can, you can just imagine him getting like passionate. Don't you dare let the power of the cross become void. Don't you dare put any prominence on the person and the communication style. Don't you dare take anything away from Jesus Christ. Don't you dare take anything away from him. He's the one who did everything. He's the one who was crucified for you. He's the one who was resurrected. It's Jesus and nothing else. And so we need this reminder of the big idea today. It's God's wisdom that's the real deal that keeps us united, not us. It's God's wisdom. And that's why verse 18 says this, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved is the very power of God. Listen, we're not going to be saved through intellectualism. Your IQ is great, but your IQ, if you have to have a high IQ to know God, then we're in trouble. It's your WQ, your wisdom quotient that matters more than the IQ. Because it doesn't make sense. Think about this. The symbol of our faith is a cross. Do you know what a cross was? It's, a, it's an instrument of torture. Imagine hanging an electric chair around your neck or a guillotine. It's pretty sick, morbid, isn't it? 
That's what our symbol of faith is, a cross. Now, it's empty. He's not on it anymore. He's not dead. He's alive. But try to make sense of that. And philosophers want to talk about how can you make sense of somehow his blood on that cross takes away my sin? That makes no sense. It's confusing and it confounds those who want a religious system that says X, Y, and Z. If you do X, Y, and Z, then A, B, and C are going to happen. And that's what a lot of times we want. We want someone to tell me, if I do this, then this is going to happen. I can earn, I can do something to make sure I feel good. But that's not what God said. And notice what he said. He said, some of us just want to sign. I want to feel Jesus. I want to know. I want to feel something. We want to sign. Paul said the same thing was happening 2,000 years ago. The Greeks wanted wisdom and the Jews wanted signs. And God gave them both exactly what they needed in Jesus. The wisest person to have ever lived, who gave us the wisest instruction ever, who taught with authority and love. And then also he, he gave us the greatest sign ever, the resurrection. And yet people still stumbled over Christ and we still stumble over him today. Doesn't matter if we want wisdom or if we want signs. God reminds us through the prophet Isaiah of why we struggle with it. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Can we just admit sometimes we don't know it all? that we just make poor decisions, that we don't have the greatest wisdom all the time. Scholars are going to keep bragging forever about their degrees and philosophers are going to keep endlessly debating and intellectuals are going to keep denying the revelation of God's word, the truth of it. They're going to deny creation. They're going to deny the distinction between male and female. They're going to deny the humanity of a baby in his mother's womb. They're going to deny moral absolutes. They're going to deny the possibility of miracles and the resurrection. There are going to be people that are going to continue to make false religions and philosophical systems to say that you can somehow make your way to God. You can earn it somehow, but you can't. And God just says, listen, at the end of time, he's going to get the last word. And everybody who went on their own, used your own wisdom, you're going to be found to be wanting. He's going to be proved correct, but he loves us. He loves you enough to still come after you like the song that we sang. He still pursues every single one of us, even though we reject him continuously. And the reason possibly why God's wisdom seems so weird or different, crazy to us is because we don't really know God. Remember, you have to have right knowledge to have right application. Do you know God's word? You know, one of the things my mom sometimes would like expect me to know what to do. Like she would expect me to know what I'm supposed to. Mom, I'm not that smart. Just tell me, please. I, I didn't, you know, sometimes I still didn't do it, but I mean, just please tell me at least and I know. Do you know what God has even said? You got to know God's word. Not just relying on your own thoughts and experience and feelings and what other people say around you. Do you know God's word? At least to know what he said, the right knowledge, so that then you can base, learn right application. Be close to God's word. It doesn't matter how enlightened or sophisticated or educated you think we might be or you might be. The apostles were the most were unschooled, uneducated, ordinary, plain, unimportant people. And God gave them the greatest message of all time. Oftentimes the gospel really appeals to the ordinary person. And yet sometimes the rich and powerful have a hard time accepting the gospel. You know why? 
because we don't like ordinary. Ordinary in our world is boring. Nobody wants to be ordinary. We want to be special. We want to be unique. We want to be this. I want to be known for something. I want this. I need to be somebody, right? Ordinary is the opposite of good. But ordinary means I have to bring something to the table. I mean, special does. Ordinary means I don't have to bring anything to the table. And a lot of us in this room and online think, well, I'm good. I'm not, you're not rich or powerful, right? Well, yeah, you are. You realize you have a car and a house. You have options of what you're going to eat today. You have recreational activities and hobbies and what's it called? Uh, optional, what's it? Money, disposable income. What is that? That's rich. We're rich. We don't need things. We have everything we need. And so oftentimes, I'm good. That's what we think. I'm good. Until I need something, I'm good. And it's in that that I forget humility. And I think I'm good. So I can do whatever I think I need to do. And that's basing it out of my own experience and my own limits and knowledge. And I forget that there's wisdom beyond me. At the end of time, what Paul goes on to say is, listen, there's only really two kinds of people. It's those who are perishing and those who are being saved. Those who are perishing and those who are being saved. How do you know which one you are? Verse 25 helps us. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. It's Jesus. He demonstrated, he gave us his knowledge and wisdom and signs through Jesus. What have you done with Jesus? Do you have right knowledge about Jesus, who he is and what he's done? Do you have the right knowledge about our sin, what we've done? And then do you know the right application, what to do with Jesus? That's how you know if we're perishing or if we're being saved. You know what? The world says don't be ordinary, be extraordinary, be special, but it's a lot of pressure. Ordinary is actually the most freeing thing you could ever be. I can just be me. I can just be a flawed, failed human. I can just be a dad that messes up and doesn't know what he's doing half the time. I can be a husband that makes mistakes and still be loved and pursued and still being, being saved. Yeah, I can do that. And I bet you can too. But that's unconventional, isn't it? That means we have to accept wisdom, not from the world, but from God. Let's pray. God, thanks for loving us. And um, in this moment, I want to thank you for Jesus, who is both the wisest and both the, both the most amazing example sign ever. And so today there's two groups of us, actually. There's some of us that have never made a decision. God, we have We've had a piece or some of the knowledge about who you are. Maybe today we have more, but we've never made that decision, that application to say, I want to follow you, I want to give my life to you, I want to surrender and submit to you. So those I'm praying that they would do that today. They would say, I'm going to choose to follow you. I want to choose to learn who you are, what you've said, and then learn how to live like you. And then there's a group of people today watching online and here that have said that, but we haven't been living like that. We've heard your words. We've even placed our faith in you, but right now we're living on our own wisdom. We're not truly trusting you, and so we don't look anything different than the world around us. And God, I pray that you convict us today. Convict that group of people to say, listen, I'm not living for Jesus. I'm living for myself right now. I'm okay with accepting fake wisdom, not listening to God. Convict us to become more like Jesus so that the world will know that the church is yours. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray, amen.